If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the latest edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a guy in sports talks to the people who play and cover sports or did play and did cover sports about anything they like that's just not sports. I am your host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer holed up in a house in the suburbs outside Chicago. And what a difference a week makes. Like literally every show is now the Just Not Sports podcast as we are all grappling with a new normal or a a somewhere on the road to new normal. Uh, Honestly, very much wishing everybody uh, the best of health in these very tricky times. My goal here in the next few weeks while sports at the professional and college and and pretty much every level is is dark, is to try to reach out, put up some more shows, give you some additional connection points with people in the in the industry that you might want to hear from, and uh, hopefully prod areas of their life uh, that they that brings them some joy during very difficult times. But again, uh, recognize that everybody is is experiencing this differently, and sending nothing but just best wishes and empathy and any support that uh, that we can give to, to, to everyone who listens to this and everyone who doesn't because uh, it's going to be a long road ahead but hopefully we can uh, we can we can get through this okay and speaking of just gutting through with the help of some content my guest today is Jody Avergan who has really helped me over the years whether it was right after you know my kids were born and uh, complicated times for my wife and trying to help them all out. I would throw on Jody's work, whether it was with 538, whether it was with uh, all that he did with 30 for 30 podcasts all the time. This man has literally been music to my ears without music uh, for a long time. So I reached out to Jody and invited him to come on. And what it did was it really exposed me to a whole side of him that I was really unfamiliar with, but now uber intrigued by. Jody is a professional ultimate Frisbee <laughs> player. And someone who has played at the really competitive ranks in college and in the professional ranks uh, of Ultimate. So we we dove in and broke it down. We we talked about how he got involved, how he found his way onto organizations that uh, were playing at a really high level, the odds and ends of making it to the pro ranks, his Ultimate highlight, which is online, uh, which we break down, which, which which got on ESPN and is actually still circulating out there. Go Google Jody Avergan and, and Ultimate and uh, just watch him making spectacular grabs. It's a lot of fun. I mean, look, when I was at school in the 90s, Ultimate Frisbee was sort of a burgeoning thing. And my dorm, some guys in my dorm created the Bradley University Ultimate, the no, the Bradley Ultimate Frisbee Fanatics, a.k.a. Buff. Ha ha ha. And I can remember joining that group freshman year, first semester, a little bit of second semester as they were trying to get off the ground. But it's funny because later in the episode, we'll bring you know, my longtime co-host Gareth Hughes on to talk about he played uh, Ultimate at Skidmore College, same time frame. He and I went to school at the same time. And it is funny to see the people who had a much more serious opportunity to play in college versus those like me who had like just kind of side side uh, organizations that existed and did it just for fun. So I had a lot of fun with this one. It was great talking to Jody. And then, as I mentioned before, Gareth rejoined us. Uh, he's doing okay, uh, battling cancer, battling quarantine in Brooklyn. I uh, wanted you all to hear from him. He's going to talk about his own ultimate career after Jody and let you in on a tradition that once got profiled in Abercrombie and Fitch's catalog. 
That is not a joke. <laughs> Stick around. You'll want to hear that. In the meantime, here is Jody talking ultimate. When did you first get into it and and get exposed to the to the sport? Um, so I mean, I played. I got into it, you know, at summer camp when I was young, and then, but then, you know, I played a little in middle school. But then I played my high school. Pro, my high school had a program and a decent program, so I played in high school. And then I went to college, and like there being a good ultimate program was like part of my consideration when I decided to go to college. And then I graduated and played club and, and even pro, but, you know, I think to your, to your question about, and your observation about the kind of like growth of the sport, I feel like I have, and just happened to be of the right age and generation where I kind of like spanned it going from this very small regional, very sort of hippie roots kind of thing to by the time I ended playing, it was, I think, a lot more grown up and games were broadcast on ESPN. And, you know, it's still it's still small enough to the side. But, you know, I just it's part of kind of what I've really enjoyed is sort of watching it progress and frankly being, you know, part of part of pushing it forward in whatever way I can. Um, but, you know, I would say I was probably like one of the very first uh people to you know my my age group was one of the very first to kind of have it be like something that they thought about when they thought about going to college you know um and now uh there's like scholarships and people are very much making it a part of their decision and so forth um but you know i was just right on the leading edge of it being something that you would kind of carry through all the way from high school to college to club and beyond yeah it's interesting like i went to school from like 97 to 2001 um and my school didn't have any kind of ultimate yeah. frisbee presence in fact some friends kind of started the first club team but but my my really best friend from high school went to skidmore like they had a team they like would travel and play other schools and i feel like there was that inflection point like if your college took it seriously and was part of the cultural um zeitgeist on campus for lack of a better term you really did open up a lot more doors <laughs> to be able to play. And I guess I was wondering from your perspective, like what was your, what was your college team uh, sport environment like and, and, and kind of how did it impact your overall experience there? Yeah. I mean, you know, look, I think it was analogous to anyone else who has something that they take very seriously. Um, and, you know, some people, when you look at a football player or you look at a um, someone who's in, I don't know, an acapella group or, in a, you know, or is part of a, a model UN, like I think the world looks at that person as like, oh, yeah, that person takes it very seriously. I get what that means. That's their thing. Right. Ultimate, you know, I think it's still a little like Rashomon. Like some people look at it and be like, yeah, I get it. If they if they sort of just happen to grow up seeing people who took it very seriously and then others still think it's, you know, a joke and whatever. I recognize that. Um you know, but I, but so, so the way I characterize it is basically like whatever thing you took most seriously in your life and whatever thing you felt like you were the best at in, in your life, that was ultimate for me, you know, and I played soccer and football in, in college, in high school. And I thought about playing football in college. Um, and, you know, I brought that same level of like intensity to, to playing in college and then club. And so, you know, it was my main thing and, you know, I would spend, 
several hours a day at least, you know, and all my waking hours sort of thinking about training and, and strategizing and so forth. And then like anything, you kind of have your social circle is built through that. And so, and like, I think this is a, a something you learn about college writ large, but certainly I think when you have an experience like this playing on like competitive traveling team, um, you know, when you're in it, you think the most important thing in the world is what happens on the field. And then the further you get away from it, you realize <laughs> what that phrase, it was the friends <laughs> we made along the way, right? I can't believe I actually like, like invented that phrase in real time just now, but re it really is that, you know, and I, and I actually, and funnily enough, I, mean, I don't know when people are going to listen to this, um, this podcast, but the, but my school, my alma mater, I suppose like a lot of people basically canceled school for the rest of the year because of the coronavirus. And I sent an email to the current team that I'm still in touch with and said, you know, like, this is, this is going to be really rough. Like, you're, especially the seniors, you know, you're losing out on this experience. They had high hopes. They had a very good team this year. And I said that to them, you know, like with time, you realize like 10 years from now, you're going to look around and be like, oh, oh my God, like my five best friends in the world are all people I played Frisbee with. And like, <laughs> we don't, we don't, you know, we don't play Frisbee anymore, but like, we still have these bonds. And now we all have, you know, and in my case, like now we all have kids and now we all, have, so, you know, you sort of start to, to realize that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I could not have asked for a better experience. I think it's a, like a wonderful sport as a sport itself, like in terms of the things that I like about sports that, that sort of intrigue me. And then as a, as a culture, it's just an amazing sort of community. Um, and then the other one that I really think about a lot is like, it gets harder the older you get until, you know, until you're too old, but like everyone I played football with in high school very few of them played in college because we weren't like a powerhouse or anything but even, but the ones who played in college certainly did not play after that and i think a lot of people who play sports in college or high school have that moment of like oh no you know i just topped out and with ultimate it was like i left college and there was another 10 years of right. even more competitive competitive ultimate for me and i just sort of didn't recognize at the time, but I realized what a gift that is, that there was another level for me to go to, the highest level of competition at the club and then, you know, even at this pro level. Um, and so having that and just it just being a sport that's structured in that way uh, is, was really special. And I want to get into the to more about the pro level, but let me start with your own style of play. Like, how, how do you describe your, <laughs> your game, for lack of a better term, to people who, who ask? Yeah, I mean, you know, and I'll try and do it in a way that's not like you have to know the lingo of the game. But, you know, I tend tend to be, um, you know, I'm like have good disc skills. Um, I, you know, I'm a good thrower. I'm not like the tallest person. I'm not the fastest person. I'm relatively explosive. But I feel like I was at my best when I was like a glue guy. You know, I think every sport <laughs> kind of needs that and sort of a facilitator. And so, you know, I feel like um, there was a point at which one of my teammates sort of paid me what I thought was the highest compliment someone has paid, which is I was injured for, for, for a season. And he was like, you know, he was like, look, the thing we're missing when you're not out there is just that sort of safety valve of like, things are getting crazy. And we just know that you have like, you're steady and you have the instincts and that like, you can bail us out at a given point. And I think like every team needs to have that. Um, and every team needs to have that facilitator. You know, I, I think I would, make spectacular plays like when they came to me, but I wasn't one of those people who was just a highlight reel left and right. Um, but, you know, and I think about that, frankly, like that's taught me a lot about the real world too. And so when I've had to like, 
you know, manage teams at work. I've thought a lot about the lessons I've learned about how to facilitate people, how to set people up for success, you know, how to be the, the person who, who throws to the person who throws to the person who scores, you know, uh, and hockey has <laughs> right. a nice stat. Hockey has a stat for that, which is really nice. The hockey assist, you know, but other sports sort of only look at the person who scored. Um, and so, you know, I, I, that was sort of my, my game, just trying to be steady um, and consistent. And then I also like played with, with like an edge. I'm very competitive and I like get fired up and I felt like, you know, when the stakes got higher, um, I felt like I played better. Uh, which was, you know, kind of nice thing to learn about yourself and try and shoot for. Um, but, you know, I do feel like I, I kind of like made that a priority when I would step out there. So I'm picturing you like the the Ricky Moore of 1999 UConn hoops of, of your team, you know, like you, like you said, the inspirational spiritual leader, but occasionally, you know, dunking it back off uh, off the off the rebound and getting in the one shining moment uh, montage. Yeah, I think that's I think that's probably about right. I would say I was either at the like top of the like mid tier of, you know, players at a very competitive level, or maybe at the very bottom of the top tier, but I was not, you know, and I had to sort of, you know, in high school and in college, I was always, you know, I, I stepped on the field every time I felt I'm, I'm the best player on this field, you know, like, and I think you, some, to some extent you have to delude yourself into that to be competitive, but I also genuinely expected that when I got to club, and pro, I kind of, you know, I belonged, I started, I was a captain for many years, but, you know, I also realized like, okay, there's, a, there's, there's at least a few people in this field who are just at another level because of their physical gifts and because of, you know, whatever. Um, so, uh, you know, I was not making like, um, like the national team, you know, the 20 best players in the, in the country to go compete against other com- countries. I was not making, I was not, you know, at that level, but, you know, I think I held my own. <laughs> Did you talk a lot of shit on the field? Like, what was your, like, you mentioned having yeah. an edge, but, like, what was that edge yeah. like? No, I got into it, and I think, like, it was probably not fun to play against me, and I think <laughs> probably maybe not fun to play with me. Like, I definitely, like, you know, especially when you're young, like, you know, a lot of my time in college was spent just, like, arguing with other players and then sometimes with <laughs> butting heads with teammates of my own. Um, but, you know, that's that's also taught me so much about just, like, now that, sports or now that you know i found myself at espn and you cover sports like i know that people need to talk about stuff but like you know draymond and kevin durant are sniping at each other on the sidelines like if you've played competitive sports and you've like like that's just that means nothing like on the one hand it means everything but on the other hand like people argue with each other all the time people like hate each other and then a second later like they have a nice play and they're like best friends again you know like it's just the emotions are so heightened and so it just gives you a little perspective i think when you've played sports and i'm not claiming you know i'm not going to go on sports center and, and talk about my sports experience gives me insight into what's happening on the warriors but i think like at some level <laughs> you know like you just sort of understand like sports is this incredibly heightened uh little bubble an ecosystem and um and so you know i was I, I think I, I very much know that I did not have a good reputation as like a nice person uh, <laughs> uh, among my opponents. And, you know, and I think, frankly, part of what I, what I recognize about myself is like to motivate, to motivate myself, I had to, I have to, I had to, I don't do this anymore, but like I had to look at my opponent and think of them as basically like, I had to hate my opponent and I had to think of them as like the worst person in the world in order, you know, and I would like, when I would do workouts, I would like visualize, you know, the guy on that other team that was standing between us and nationals or whatever. Um, and some people are motivated differently, but you know, I always, 
just how I'm wired, I guess. No, I, I honestly, I love that. And, and, and how did you, I guess, when did you first consider that like becoming part of the pro uh, ranks of the sport was attainable to you? And can you, uh, for, you know, I'm trying to be an, a listener surrogate here. I've done some, some looking yeah, into sure. it, but I would love for you to tee up for them. What, Really, what is the professional ranks of the of the sport, and, and and give us a kind of a rundown of how expansive you know that group is. Yeah, I mean, look for for many many years, and it's still the case. The highest level of competition is the club level, and you know, there's different types of clubs teams, but you know, by far, the main experience I had was playing for the top club team first in DC and then in New York, um, and that was mostly in New York is is where I played most of my career, and that's where you know the best players play and still it's the case you know the, the club a club championship is is the is the highest level um you know the pro league started in earnest i'd say five or six years ago and so it was towards the end of when i was playing so mostly i was just like oh this is interesting let's see what let's see what happens here and, you know i would say about half of the guys who played on the club team ended up playing on the pro teams and there were a number of people on that pro team who weren't good enough to make the club team. And, you know, I think it's changing a little bit now and they're a little more analogous and the pro level is pretty good, but I would, but, you know, I just want to put that in, that in context. That said, you know, as soon as you start to walk around and say like, it's professional, people just kind of like, I recognize this. People just sort of take it a little more seriously. It's not a coincidence that the pro leagues are some of the ones that have been able to like cut TV deals and just get gain more visibility. So, you know, generally I'm in favor of that level of play. Um, and I think it just helps, you know, I, I see it when I, you know, when I, when I talk to someone who knows nothing about ultimate, um, and I then drop, you know, I played pro and I was on sports center, like that, I recognize that gets people's <laughs> attention, you know, and it just sort of is, you know, it's not the first thing I would lead with in terms of explaining how much it's meant to me and sort of how competitive, um, and big of a part of my life it was, but you know, it is, they are like good, good little calling cards, um, to get out there, but pro is structured um you know pretty similar to the club i mean you you know you play other cities that are geographically oriented the one thing i like about pro is that generally it's like one game at a time whereas club tends to be focused on these big tournaments and so it's sort of a war of attrition you're playing five or six games over the course of a weekend they've done studies where they show that you know for some players you're basically running the equivalent of a marathon over the course of a weekend and that's a marathon that's mostly sprinting you know mixed with diving and colliding and all of these other things um whereas the pro game is like you show up you know you warm up you play one game uh for an hour and a half and then you're done and i you know certainly for me coming at the end of my career where like those tournaments were really taking it out of me and i was perpetually injured i was like oh my god this is amazing like this is so like i just play once and it's great <laughs> uh so i so i like you know i like that part of the, the pro game as well what was the play that got you on sports center because i know we were emailing back and forth about that oh, is the clip um, online too it's somewhere online. If you Google my name and, and ultimate, you'll, you'll, you'll find it. But it was, well, I think it was probably a, a like good encapsulation of, of me. It was, uh, it was actually a play that was a result of someone who was much taller and faster and more athletic than me, uh, getting a D on me, jumping up over me and, you know, getting a D, but then the disc sort of flips into the air and I make a sort of like miraculous, like, you know, pull, pull a play out of my ass and, and catch it for a goal kind of thing. But I, I think just watched, a, um, I'm watching this while yeah, you're doing it. It, right. it is very spectacular, my friend. It but is it great. is not, it is very different from other people who just do a clean kind of like, Oh, I'm more athletic than you. This was more, this was, I think a good encapsulation of some of the things that I do, which is kind of like, 
when things are going crazy, I sort of figure it out. Uh, and, you know, I think, uh, and so I guess I got on uh, as a result of a broken play. But, you know, it's 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 sort of true that a lot of highlights in sports are the result of broken plays. Certainly a lot of like great defensive plays are the result of subpar offensive plays. And so, you know, I'm getting a little philosophical here, but it makes you think a little bit about kind of like what we pay attention to. You know, no one likes no one likes highlights of perfectly clean. I mean, there, there was a there was a, a team uh, that I played against that had a saying that was basically like, if you have to say so, say to someone good play, something went wrong, right? Because in theory, uh, everything should just be really straightforward, and you're and you know and stuff should be should be operating really smoothly, and everyone should be playing their role. But you know, it's just something to think about. So you at the end of that play, you like just stare right at your opponent and you kind of help him up. So you're not exactly no, shit talking, but I I was wondering whether the stare was kind of like, yep, like, like, no, take it wasn't. That. Okay. It was, I know, I know that guy. I'm pals with that guy. But okay. by that point, I was 30 years old. I was a grown, mature person. I was not going to, uh, that was very much a like, you got me, but yeah, I caught it. Cause he was also like, wait, what you caught it. And I was like, yeah, I caught it. But then, you know, I helped him up. Uh, and you know, it's a nice little tag to that. But I would also say that that show of, um, of sportsmanship, I have to confess was, is not a uh, sort of super accurate representation of my, <laughs> of my behavior on the field. <laughs> what would you say is, is like your apex of, of your playing career as you look back? Yeah. I mean, I think about a couple on that. I think about two things. I mean, one, and actually they're, 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 Related, but I mean, I think about like just times when it felt like I was on a team that was just clicking and in like such a satisfying way. And, you know, everyone has had that experience where it's just like, oh, my God, this team is coming together. It's it's a it's it's bigger than the sum of its parts. And so, you know, there was a couple of years on on my club team where I felt like, oh, man, we are genuinely just like this is a really enriching experience and we're really good on the field. One of those years in one of the sort of tournaments that was like the biggest, the regional championships that qualifies you for nationals, which is usually, you know, which is the big goal. Um, you know, I just, I had, I felt like I was in the zone. Like I've had, I feel like I've had a few of those, you know, you hear people talk about that. I've had those moments, I feel like. And uh, where you just, you just feel like you can just do whatever you want and you're just sort of like playing mindlessly. And I just remember, and I can still sort of conjure that up, what it feels like to just sort of be like completely locked in um, and just sort of do stuff without realizing it. And so, you know, I mean, that's incredibly satisfying, you know, like you, and it's a result of, you hear athletes talk about this all the time. It's a result. And, and, and people in any profession, you just like, you do tons and tons and tons of work and preparation and tons and tons of mental work and try and build your mental toughness all to get to a point where basically you're not thinking, right? You're just doing. And uh, when you're able to achieve that, um, it's like really, really satisfying. And then, as I said, when you have a whole team that kind of feels like they're locked in in that way, like it's it's pretty great. And you've coached I and mean, you've transitioned to coaching mm-hmm. and, and you worked with, I believe, international teams. How does yeah. your own playing career inform your style as a coach? Um, I think it has, it has a, a fair amount. And I, mean, I really love coaching because I, like I said, you know, it's, you're building a team and you're sort of setting people up for success. And so I think, you know, my playing style, which is like, I'm going to fill in the gaps. I'm going to try and recognize kind of what this team needs at a given point and then be there and try and support others. Uh, I think that's a really good, you know, I've, I've on a number of teams, especially these big international teams, been like assistant coach. And I've actually really enjoyed that. I've been head coach a couple of times, but as assistant coach, 
I really like the challenge of saying, okay, the head coach is going to have their blueprint and I'm going to then just sort of like figure out how I can help support that. Um, and, you know, one, I'm not much one for coaching cliches, but one adage that I think about in sports and I think about in life a lot too is, is um, it's better to be on the same page than on the right page, you know? And I think a lot of people kind of like kill themselves trying to figure out exactly what the right plan is. But I think it's more important that just everyone buys in no matter what your plan is. And so I think sometimes coaching has been really satisfying in that sense, both working with a team to say, get buy-in on, on the plan. But then also if I'm an assistant coach, working with the head coach and saying, okay, you, you dictate what the page is. And then my job is to help everyone get on the same page. And that can be, that can be really satisfying. Let's close by just kind of talking about the culture around the sport. I've seen you write a little bit about, you know, as you've been putting the growth of the sport into perspective, there is the tension between the people who wanted to cling to the counterculture or vibe of the sport versus the ones who wanted to see it growth and expand and, and more corporatized is is overblown or maybe we've moved beyond that. Is that still how you feel? Yeah, I mean, it is an ongoing tension. And just to give people a little sketch, well, first off, if you don't know anything about Ultimate and you're still listening to this podcast, then you know, good <laughs> for you. But but if you happen to have gotten to this point and you still don't really have a sense of what we're talking about here, I mean, Ultimate has always had at its foundation this notion of spirit of the game, which is basically like sportsmanship, but like really baked into the DNA. And part of that, part of the way it manifests itself is that in a lot of games, there are not referees. That's changing. Um, and there's a whole sort of interesting middle ground that's being explored, which I tend to be a fan of, of like not having active referees, still putting the burden on players to make their own calls, but also recognizing that as the competition increases, as you're saying, there's this tension where people look to look to cheat, whether it's actively or they just sort of, when you're in a super hyper competitive state, that's not the best time to be making your own calls and sort of adjudicating the, the rules of the game. So there's all sorts of interesting ways people are working that out. Um, in general, I think that spirit of the game and sportsmanship will always be part of the DNA. And I actually think that this is to your, this is to answer your question that some people who feel like it is a problem to be worked out for this sport to grow are actually looking at it backwards. That I think it can actually be the calling card of the sport. And for instance, you know that for a long time, will ultimate be in the Olympics has been a big question. Right. And I think maybe five, 10 years ago, people were answering that question by saying, yeah, it will be, but we need to figure out this no refs thing in this sort of hippy dippy side of the sport. And we need to get over that to be a grown up sport so that then the Olympics will take us seriously. And now I think there's this really interesting thing that's going, that's that's happening where people are saying, and actually the Olympic committee has sort of made this, oh, the re has sort of said this, like the reason the Olympics would be interested in this sport is because it's different, is because it has this Interesting. The spirit, this dynamic that actually fits in really nicely with the Olympic, uh, you know, and so a way to sort of have it not be an impediment to the gameplay, but still be a calling card of the sport, I think is the future. And I think some places are trying to figure that out. But I mean, I think it's, um, you know, I think it's a really powerful thing when you watch this sport. I think if you watch it for a minute, you will recognize the level of athleticism and how sort of like great it is as a spectator thing. And then when it has these moments of a sportsmanship built into it that are a little different from other sports, then that's what sort of takes it to another level. And I think can be the kind of thing that, that helps it find its lane going forward. Yeah. Final question. I'm not going to ask you like, Oh, which player would be the like from a different sport would be the best ultimate player. Cause like, you know, oh, like no, this is like a, this is the, 
this is the parlor game when all our players get well, okay, together. Okay, which, well then, which sports would you? What, yes. what I was going to put it on a different. I was going to put it on sure. a different lens, which is like if you were building a team and you could choose. Like, I guess I would be wondering, what would you start your team with? Would you want that, like, yeah. Randy Moss ultimate get down faster than everyone and, and catch everything? Would you want that Tom Brady accurate, you know, uh, you know, uh, thrower? Or, right. do you, or do you want, like, the LeBron kind of in-between can do everything? I just would be wondering, like, what kind of archetypal athlete would you want to start a team with? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I think everyone has different answers to this. But, I mean, I think certainly, like when you just make a list and say, okay, you want, you want height, you want speed and you want hand-eye coordination. Um, it's hard to not go to basketball, right? you know, um, especially nowadays where you have kind of like basketball players who are moving like soccer players, you know, like the only thing you could knock on basketball is like, oh, they don't have that field sense. You know, they don't have, they don't, have, they don't know how to move in like, you know, hundreds of yards of space the way soccer players do. But a lot of basketball athletes these days have that kind of ranginess and that adaptation. And then they certainly have the height and explosiveness and hand-eye coordination. Soccer players are unnatural just because they know what, it, what it's like to sort of stand on a big field and, and, and work the dynamics of that. And they have good coordination. Tennis players make good crossovers. So, you know, it's like take the, you know, uh, cornerbacks. I mean, in general, I feel like cornerbacks are often the best athletes in the world. And so, you know, you could just kind of like, go with them but um but if they had hands they'd yeah, be receivers think, right <laughs> right i guess so yeah but they need to be you know but they need to be a little more explosive and so forth um, but you know i will take any of the players you mentioned uh, but uh <laughs> you know i think i think if i had to choose i would probably take like you know um a really a really good smart point guard in the nba or you know lebron who can right. I mean, lebron's the answer right who can who can think like a point guard but then also if he needs to go and just jump over five people he can do it as well <laughs> well this has been awesome man where where do you go with it now how active are you in this community now and 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 do you see yourself kind of doubling down at some point or going even further with it or um, what i mean my my super competitive playing days are over um you know i just have broken down you know i i was always perpetually injured and i just i just can't hack it anymore i play a competitive sort of pickup ish game on the weekend that luckily a lot of the like current pro uh, current pro and club guys come out to i am involved with the club team i've not made the leap to sort of coaching them which i think i might at some point but you know i just uh have a career and have a small child and <laughs> just sort of like it's perpetually the fourth thing on my list uh and you know i and that that the uh, fourth thing on my on a list that feels like it only has room for three um but you know i i'm still very involved and uh and i love the sport and i feel like i you know will we'll look for opportunities just um, promise and, me you won't stop and, talking shit no i will not it's it's sometimes i have to catch myself but you know it's also <laughs> honestly like this is a very like dad thing to say or you know sort of early middle age thing to say but it's actually not, it, it, it kind of feels good to get out there and find that edge a little bit again you know and realize like <laughs> oh yeah i still kind of like can get angry about something that's, that's healthy <laughs> uh and so yeah And we are back in the sports world, athletes, coaches, media, you know, when those things were doing things, they used to be interesting. And then we would tell them, stop being interesting, get back to watching game film. That is ridiculous. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we celebrate distractions. 
by telling you what we've been up to. And to do that this week is my longtime co-host on the show, Gareth Hughes, seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer at our Brooklyn Bureau. Gareth, first things first, how is the family? You guys safe and well on lockdown at this point? Yeah, we, uh, we're a week into homeschooling. Uh, I think our curriculum is okay. Lego class was pretty good for my son today, and we didn't break out shows and Lego until three or shows and Nintendo, I should say till three o'clock. So that's a victory. That, you know what? As someone who also is on lockdown with kids, that is a huge victory. And we have to allow ourselves to be uh, not perfect. <laughs> that's what I was saying oh, yeah. last night. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So Jody Evergan came on. We talked about ultimate Frisbee this week, and I wanted you to rejoin to talk distractions because unlike me, Gareth, you had like a legit college ultimate frisbee career i believe correct yeah i mean i played for the skidmore college wombats um as we were known wait the was wombats, the wombats was the wombats your school's mascot or was it especially ultimate well so that was the thing so the wombats were skidmore's first mascot for a lot of years and then people were like this is embarrassing or around like 1970 when all the small liberal arts schools uh became co-ed and kind of got classier, like more public facing. They basically were like, "Our th- this is embarrassing to be called the Wombats. We need a new nickname. They picked a much better nickname, especially for a, a school located in Saratoga Springs, New York, which was the Thoroughbreds. But then when an ultimate club was started and they needed a nickname, they were like, oh yeah, Wombats it is. So we were the Skidmore College Wombats. And uh, that's a much better I, name, by the way. I mean, that's a much better mascot name. Right? <laughs> well, especially for a school that's, you know, D3, not even NESCAC sort of school that, you know, Wombats has more of a a ring to it. But anyway, um, yeah, so I played for the ultimate team pretty much from my freshman year on. Um, I was, I'd be more or less involved depending on what other extra curriculars I was doing but I played all four years I traveled to all sorts of tournaments and most importantly for Skidmore College I took part in one of our great campus traditions what which was the Wombats had a serious nudity streak and it was like as far as it went as far as being uh, documented in the Abercrombie and Fitch catalog so if I can explain um, when we would host a tournament in the fall, which was called Wamba Fest. And then in the spring, it was called Wamba Bash, where you'd invite all sorts of other schools to send their teams. <laughs> and you would remember these names, by the way, because Fest was in the fall and Bash was in the spring. And um, there was a lot of drinking that would go on at these tournaments. There would be a keg or two out at the field all day long for the games as they went on. And, you know, there was serious competition going on, but you were also trying to get a buzz on throughout the day. And so, you know, you'd, you'd play your games. And then as was tradition at the end of every game, you would make up a, you'd make up a cheer for the other team and they'd be lewd and somewhat inappropriate and things like that. And so by the end of the day, a champion would be crowned at each of these tournaments. And then the last game would be played. And the last game of every Skidmore tournament was Skidmore current team versus alumni who had come back. 
And then when you got to game point of that game, the last point of the last game of the day, everybody would get naked and play the last point <laughs> in the nude. Co-ed. And so you've got seven players per side, so 14 people out on the field running around naked playing Frisbee. And honestly, it's a real challenge at that point to figure out at a moment's notice who's on your team because everybody looks <laughs> the same. Everybody's literally in the exact same clothes. Uh, just cleats is all that could possibly differentiate them or socks or something silly. And so you would run around until the game point was scored. Now, you've got to win by two, keep in mind. And just because it's game point for one team doesn't mean it's the other. So the problem would occur where you'd be naked and all of a sudden the team who it wasn't game point for would score. And, oh, this is going to go on for a little bit. And so then you're <laughs> running around naked for multiple points. And so we developed a reputation for this. Then... and. So then when we would take our team picture every year, that would, it would always be done at a, a strategic place on campus that would be picked ahead of time and we would all gather. I mean, there were probably about 40 of us on the team at a given time, like, cause you know, people would have conflicts and they would float in and out. There were probably about 10 to 20 hardcores that would be at practice every day and stuff like that, but the number would fluctuate. And so you'd congregate at this spot, like let's say it was the stage in the middle of the green or whatever. And everybody would bring a Frisbee and women would bring two. And at the appointed moment, you would say, okay, ready, go. Everybody would take their clothes off. Somebody would have set up a camera and then they would take a picture of us naked. And from the front, you would hold the Frisbee over your junk or if you're a woman over, you know, your breasts and your vagina. And that was that. And then they would say, okay, we got that picture. Everyone turn around. So then everybody would turn around and just hold the Frisbees up and they would take a picture of all of our butts. Then we'd be done and we'd get dressed as quickly as we can and we'd run away. And I remember my sophomore year doing this. We did it on the stage in the middle of campus and then immediately ran in to the dining hall to eat, lunch, eat dinner. And it was really sweet. The woman at the counter who was like swipe, would swipe our cards was like, I saw you out there. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I was one of them. She was like, you know what? It's so sweet looking at all you young kids out there. You're all naked, but you all just look the same. Nobody's ogling each other or sizing each other up. It's just you're having fun. You're being kids. And then you just go on with your life. And it was a, I think, A, she nailed it. Like, there was nothing really tawdry that ever came out of this that I heard of. And I was around it all four years. And or like these parts of that tradition, like I'm sure there was some awkwardness and I'm sure some guy at a party hit on some girl at Frisbee or like whatever. But I'm saying around the naked traditions, there's never any pressure to do it if you didn't want to. Um, I don't know. It always felt really goofy and pure, like a streaking tradition should or something like that. And so long and short of it, I have two punchlines to all these stories. Number one is, by my senior year, we were written up in Abercrombie and Fitch for being one of like the great American college streaking and nudity traditions in a particular uh, issue that came out. I, I kept Congrats. it for a while. Yeah, you must yeah, have yeah. that hanging on your wall still, right? Right. Oh, it's still in my resume. Don't you worry. Um, you know, 
but uh and then when i first met my, my wife in like the early 2000s we were looking through a scrapbook and she had the 1998 Gidmore wombat team picture and invite to the 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 tournament that had been mailed to her because like that's like campus mail but still it was like printed on paper and sent to people in her campus mail and i was like amy there's my butt like she'd been carrying around a naked picture of me for the last like eight years and then i just showed up and then she got to see it in person so great there you go i mean yeah. this is I'm sure this tradition's over now, right? <laughs> I, I I honestly don't know. I'm sure it is. I, I, I thought it was great. Um, I can understand eight gajillion reasons why. Um, we, we didn't often do it on the road, but sometimes you, we had de developed such a reputation that, like, we'd go on the road and teams would kind of goad us into playing. I remember once we went to a tournament at dickinson in pennsylvania i mean we look the cool part yeah, who'd is you play all over. like who like because who uh, are your rivals and who would you play and how seriously did people take it well that was the other thing like i was never the most i was a good player i was tall and i could play deep i was never fast but i could i could jump over people and catch the frisbee if i played deep and then honestly by my sophomore year I got to be a really good handler. Like I, I didn't have the body type to be a handler, but I had, I was good at the throws. Like once I developed a forehand, I was pretty good there. And so I had a forehand, backhand, a decent hammer. And to this day, I'm one of the, it's one of those, like, if you hang out with me at a beach and there's a Frisbee, I'll say, Hey, let's play Frisbee. And a lot of people are like, Oh, okay. And within a couple seconds, you're like, Oh, Okay. This guy knows what he's doing. You know, like <laughs> I could no, never do the forehand. I, I still I can't throw a forehand at all. And yeah, and so like it's one of those. We were talking about it once. A friend of mine, as we were playing at the beach, I was like, "Look, it's like one of those. If you're writing me up in a book, it's one of my like character traits. Like you're a good driver. Like an, like a preternaturally good driver. Or this person, you know, has a great sense of color and fashion. And I." I'm a surprisingly good frisbee player, and so that was what. So I played, you know, short and deep because I could either catch the ball jumping over people or throw it well. And then we would play. Um, I remember some great tournaments at Con College, and playing there. I think our rivals were like RPI just down the road. Um, that's Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Uh, Dickinson was good. BU was really good. Boston University had a good team. Um, in fact, I still remember one of the cheers we did against BU. So basically, there was there was a weekend that there were two tournaments going on, and so they had me go to like the lesser of the two tournaments. But I took like a young squad, and I was the captain for the day. You'll love this, Brad. That tournament was at Wesleyan, and so oh, I was okay. our captain for the day, and. It was the last game of the day, and we were playing BU. And uh, Kate McGrew, our our high school classmate, went to school at Wesleyan. And so we made plans to get together at some point throughout the day. And whatever happened, it shook out that Kate and I could get together around the time of the last game of the day. So I was the captain, and I abandoned my team to go hang out with my high school friend and get stoned at Wesleyan. And I came back <laughs> for like game point basically. And they're like, dude, you were the captain. Where'd you go? I was like, well, I had to see my friend. And then they were like, you're really stoned, aren't you? I was like, oh, definitely. And 
And so, like I said, at the end of every game, you do a cheer <laughs> for the other team. So we did – I was always really good at coming up with the cheers. I mean, I was in the improv group as well on campus, things like that. And so we set that one to the tune of Blue Moon. And as I recall that one going – I mean, this is like 20 years ago at this point, but it was – um. I, this is the second part of it. B-U, we played this game on our own. Our captain was getting stoned. <laughs> and now we're gonna too. And that was the end of the cheer and everybody clapped. So like... Um, between still- between doing college improv and college ult- like travel ultimate frisbee, you were the most '90s college guy. <laughs> oh, dude, no, no, Brad. Like, I mean, college. So first of all, like Rushmore came out when I was in college, and I saw it and like cried because like I was Max Fisher in college. <laughs> like Skidmore was my Rushmore, and like Brad, you're 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 selling me short there. Like I was in the improv group. I founded another sketch group that went on to like a competing business. sketch group. Well, we did it our freshman year. Cause I didn't even try out for the improv group, but I did it with some dudes. And I mean, like we created the sketchies. I named them. I was a founding member. And then I was the first member ever kicked out. Um, <laughs> I had a college radio show. Like I like, by the time it ended, like, dude, I partied a lot in college. Don't get me wrong, but it was the extracurriculars that were going to get me to flunk over the the partying at a certain point like i had taken on so many outside interests which sort of is who i am like there's a bit of a like fear of dilettantism in my life at all times that expressed itself in college pretty well um yeah i was i was max fisher man i was like ultimate frisbee improv comedy radio show uh whatever i'm sure i could think of a few more if i really put my head to it but that was that was my college experience i know you got a jet but let me ask you this jody like ended up playing playing professionally so if like that professional rank uh had existed and you had you know and was in front of you when you were playing at at skidmore would you have like taken it more seriously maybe tried to do it i wasn't even close man you like the people that excel at that sport because it's funny, nobody, at least it's good more, nobody gets to college having played Ultimate before. And I feel like there are a lot of people that, like, get to college and their lacrosse career is over or their hockey career is over, but they still want to compete and they still want to play, and so they start playing Ultimate. There's some unbelievable athletes. The game requires so much running. that I, I never had the lungs or the legs to really seriously do it. Like, I mean, I was a good serviceable player and I was surprisingly useful because I could play two positions so basically like I was a great bench guy like because I could spell two people like oh this handler needs a rest Gareth get in there this deep needs a rest Gareth get in there but like the athleticism of the best players is unbelievable and last summer when I got when I was really laid up cancer heavy chemotherapy um, they were playing the AUDL, the American Ultimate Disc League, on like Channel 92 on our cable every Saturday. And I watched all of it because I think it's a, I legitimately think it's a great sport. And if they could figure out how to shoot it, like, I mean, I don't see why it couldn't take hold. It's a pretty simple sport. It's a territorial game, not unlike football. There's no physicality to it as far as hitting goes. 
but the physicality that's shown from running, diving, the laying out for stuff, the way you can end up reading a disc as it goes long and getting under it or laying out to catch it, the, the, the ability that those people have, like the best athletes have to adapt and then excel at the sport, I, I never even touched it. I never touched that, but is is really impressive to me. And that's somebody who has spent most of my adult career around football players, basketball players, et cetera. I mean, some of the athletes in Ultimate are probably right up there with those guys. They just play a quirkier niche sport and one that doesn't afford them the luxury of training 365 days a year. Well, look, it was awesome talking to Jody Avergan about it. It was awesome talking to you about your uh, experience. We had the Bradley Ultimate Frisbee Fanatics buff, which my college dorm created, but they never took it very seriously. So I went to like four games. It was like, I'm out. Yeah. Uh, and hey, oh, you got, I'm, I'm going to do my shout outs. I'll let you go. But do you want to shout no, out no, any hey. 18th century, uh, 18th century uh, poets or something while you're on? <laughs> oh, no, I mean, look, I'll, I'll shout out like um, like Andy Patterson and uh dave polavi i'm just trying to think of any of the di- uh, like ultimate guys that i played with like matt christie josh goldman whoever like uh you know i'll shout those guys out and uh but no no dude quickly forget all that like there's my shout out and i'm done what's your distraction i would say i'm listening to a lot of the press box brian curtis david shoemaker talking about the election stuff i did vote in the illinois primary uh thank you to everybody who was doing that i I will tell you about my wall mural maybe on the on the next time we do distractions because by the time this uh, quarantine time ends, that mural I'm doing on my garage wall is going to be the goddamn Sistine Chapel, man. All right. Perfect. Next time we talk distractions, because uh, we've got uh, we have a burgeoning, big, ambitious kid project as well that we're doing throughout. this. Yeah. So we'll both bring those the next time we talk. Yeah, because so. I'm trying to get more of these shows up and reaching out to people who have seemed like they're bored, uh, those who aren't working as much. So I'm going to try and get a couple more pods up to keep keep people with more content while we're all trying to stay sane and stay alive, man. Perfect. Love all it. All right. Hey, go, go, go have fun with the family. All right, man. Talk to you soon. And that's our show. Everybody, take care of yourself. Take care of uh, your needs, your family, your mental health, physical health. Wishing everybody nothing but the best. Special shout out again to Jody Avergan, who came on. Go follow his website, uh, jodyavergan.com. He's working on some stuff. He's got announcements coming forward about new projects, and he said uh, check him out there. Also, he's a great follow on Twitter. Just wishing you nothing but the best. Wishing you health and happiness during this very complex time. I'm going to try and get up some more podcasts as best I can. And if you have if people that you've noticed uh, seem to want to come on shows or whatever, shoot me a note. I will reach out. And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, stay booty. Now.